0: Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 56.
1: One of my friends, Julianne Ash, calls it can't or won't. Because a lot of times, and I'm thinking in the classroom, when we see kids with ADHD, a lot of times they get in trouble. And it's actually quite sad because they're not trying to be troublemakers. They're not trying to escape a task. They're not refusing to do something. It's that they don't know how to get started or they got stuck and can't restart. If we come to the table as grown-ups with this structure in place where we're kind of diagnosing what's going on, do they need help getting started? Where are they stuck? Maybe it is a matter of organization of their materials maybe it is a matter of they really have no sense of time so how in our environment can we set them up to have a better sense of time
0: hello and welcome to the adhd love parent talk podcast if you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with adhd or as a parent with children with adhd you are finally home I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you're going through your journey. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk, where we talk about all things ADHD. Today, my guest is Dr. Jessica Bennett. I am so excited to have her because she invited me on her podcast and I learned so much during that timeframe that I wanted to invite her on my show. So we are going to really get into learning differences, especially around reading. So I really wanted her to talk about when is the right time to really get your child checked out? How do you advocate for them, especially around dyslexia, et cetera. So Jessica, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank
1: you so much. I'm so excited to see and talk with you again.
0: Yay. I'm excited to have you here. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, great. So I'm a teacher. I've been, this is my, I think my 16th or 17th year, and I am a special education teacher. And I started off teaching kids who are deaf and hard of hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off in middle school and high school. And then I quickly, as a young 20-something, moved to the elementary age. And now that I'm 40, I'm finding myself going, being drawn back to the middle school, high school kids. So I'm licensed pre-K through grade 12. I, um, I sometimes teach college classes um, at OSU and Otterbein in preparing special education teachers to go into the classroom. So I remember very early on in my teaching career, parents would debrief me on their child at the beginning of school. And, you know, they kind of lean in and say, I just want you to know that my child also has ADHD. And I, I think, okay, great. Who doesn't? At this point, kids develop at such different rates within the band of development. And I'd pretty much like very early on seen it all. So I think not intentionally became a teacher to teach kids who have ADHD, but it was almost a byproduct. So I've learned so much in the last 16 or 17 years, just working with kids who all seem to be on the spectrum of ADHD in one way or another. I mean, I, I teach kids who have dyslexia and a lot of times not only do some symptoms of dyslexia look like ADHD, but also they also have ADHD. So it's almost really, sometimes it's really hard to tease out is this ADHD or is this dyslexia or is this both? Mm. And so, as the, as kind of like the practitioner and technician, it didn't ever really matter what uh, the label was. It was that I was treating the symptoms. So if the kid, whether the kid, had a label of dyslexia or not, if they had ADHD and were struggling with literacy skills, it was treated similarly, as if they had dyslexia. And sometimes I'd have kids with dyslexia, and their symptoms looked like there may be some other ADHD symptoms at play. But whether or not they had that diagnosis, we would just treat it as if they had ADHD. Because at the end of the day, as long as I was able to drill in and and teach them in the best way that they learned, that's all that mattered.
0: And I really like that. Um, before I asked the question around what you just said, why did you really focus on those who had reading difficulties? I mean, what attracted you to those students? Why did you want to help them?
1: Very early on in college, um, I'm a psychology major, and so I've always really enjoyed. Thinking about how we as humans think and process, Mm -hmm. I have always loved working with kids. My brother and sister are ten and eleven years younger than me, and so that was a huge part of my career path. Was knowing that I really love working with kids, and so in college I was taking um, literacy classes. How do we teach kids how to read? And you know, it's very phonics based. You, we, ha- we have like this alphabetic principle. The sounds we hear are then matched with a letter on the page. And at the same time, I was taking my first phonics class in college. I met somebody who was deaf. Like it was a fellow college student. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, wait a minute. If I'm being taught that we learn how to read because we can hear and you can't hear, but you are a really accomplished reader and writer and your, your favorite thing to read is Shakespeare. How did you learn how to read? And so I developed a friendship with this deaf person. And then I, so then I started getting interested into kind of neurodiverse learning. Mm -hmm. So my master's is in deaf ed and people who can't hear do have a different pathway to learning how to read and write. And that got me more interested into, well, how do we teach kids who have dyslexia and other reading disabilities? So then I went on to get my PhD just because I was so thirsty to know all of the tools and I wanted to know, I wanted to have more tools for kids. And I was, I'm really interested in research. So I have my PhD in special education, but focused on reading disabilities.
0: That is so cool. So as far as the ADHD piece, I mean, you talked a lot about that. I know some people wonder does Dyslexia and or How does dyslexia and ADHD really connect? I mean, does one make the other one a little bit more difficult? Just how does it connect together when they have both?
1: Uh, when they have both, yeah. So you see, so if you think about all the symptoms that you see in kids who have just ADHD, you know, whether that's and th- and I always I say that, and I always think about the strengths first mm-hmm. because. I love hanging out with kids who are neurodiverse. Neuro it's almost like I just, you know, they're so creative. They are able to hyper-focus on things that are interesting. They think outside of the box. They're not boring to talk to. Most of them are really charismatic and um, really empathetic. Like All of those strong skill sets, I always think about first before I think about uh, maybe some areas that are more challenging in a traditional world. <laughs> So that being said, teaching kids with dyslexia can be very um, technical. And mm-hmm. so as we're going through a lesson that we've created using the principles of direct, systematic, explicit instruction, it's also known as structured literacy. The way that those lessons are structured mm-hmm. should help somebody who also has ADHD. And so when we see that um, a child is not able to access that structured lesson because of perhaps attention difficulties, or um, they just need a lot more movement, Mm -hmm. kinesthetic, kinesthetic learning or need more movement breaks. Sometimes those needs can interfere with the structured literacy lesson. And so those would kind of be like areas where I'm going, oh, okay, we might need to think about how to massage the structured literacy lesson to match what the child needs who's exhibiting ADHD-like symptoms.
0: Hmm. So one of the things you had talked about is just having a classroom. And I can't remember, honestly, if it was just this one, because you know, my mind is going miles a minute as you're talking, or if it was a discussion we had during um, our, um, our conversation during your podcast, But one of the things is, I was talking to a another lady who says we can catch all students if we just set the classroom up to welcome all types of learning disabilities or all types of learning differences. So, a person that has dyslexia and a person that has ADHD, if we set up the class a certain way, we would be able to catch all those students. And it's not like those who don't have those issues. The bottom line is, if we set it up the class a certain way then there might be not as many struggles with those children as they are today if a class is set up just traditionally. What do you think about that? Like just setting up a class to accept all types of learning differences?
1: I definitely think the way that we structure things has to come first. And so I would actually, I I would agree with that and add to it. So like when you say that, I'm thinking how we're arranging our environment to meet Mm -hmm. the learner's needs. Mm -hmm. But I actually would take it a step further. And I would only be able to say this from my own self-study and learning in the past, I'd say, year or so. And that is how we as the adults frame how we are observing student behavior. Mm. And so to me, I love a good framework. And so the executive functioning skills, if we as the adults are aware of and know what to do when we see weaknesses in some of the executive functioning skills, then yes, then that is a pretty profound statement. And what I mean by that is, and I think the simplest example That I have been observing kids, especially as they are interfacing with different modes of learning throughout COVID, you know, it's called initiation, and it's starting and stopping, being able to start and stop tasks, being able to start when you're stuck. And I, one of my friends, Julianne Ash, calls it can't or won't, because a lot of times, and I'm thinking in the classroom when we see kids with ADHD, a lot of times they get in trouble and. It's actually quite sad because they're not trying to be troublemakers. They're not trying to escape a task. They're not refusing to do something. It's that they don't know how to get started or they got stuck and can't restart. If we come to the table as grownups with this structure in place where we're kind of diagnosing what's going on, do they need help getting started? Where are they stuck? Maybe it is a matter of organization of their materials maybe it is a matter of they really have no sense of time. So how in our environment can we set them up to have a better sense of time? And also organizing thoughts. So to me, organizing, it's kind of like our brains are filing cabinets. And so if you don't put that structure in place for their brain and tell them which filing cabinet to put a certain piece of information
0: in. I like that. Yes.
1: You know, so I love this. It's just simple, like, Is it that they can't or they won't? And sometimes we will see kids being um, obstinate, but a lot of times it's like they didn't hear you or they are feeling anxious because they don't know what to do. (laughs) So long answer.
0: No, I like that. I like that. You know, and as you're talking, Jessica, one of the things I think about is really understanding that child where they are. So. With my children, they both are sitting at the table doing their homework. And to your point, I know what, um, and I say trigger words in the positive sense here, where I know what to say quickly to get them back into into a. Back into their homework, for example, right? So if my daughter starts to her mind is processing and she starts to look around, I'll say, "Hey, what you thinking about?" And then she'll tell me, and then she'll go back into her homework. Or um, if she is, and sometimes she'll tell me, "Oh, I'm just I'm just thinking about what I just read," and and she's doing that. That's fine. And sometimes she's thinking about. Man, I wish I was. I, I wish I got that snack, <laughs> you know, before I started homework because now I'm really hungry. But either way, it's allowing her to just kind of get it out and then she moves back to what she is doing. And it's the same thing with my son. Um, every once in a while, if he gets distracted, I just simply say, Hey, you know, what's going on? What are you doing? And then he'll say, Oh, um, I'm I'm supposed to be reading. So I'm going to start reading now, but I was thinking about X and being okay with that before it was, why aren't you paying attention? You look like you're distracted. Why aren't you focusing? You need to focus, 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 right? So I had to realize that to your point, it may be either they're stuck because that's another question I would ask. Um, so I see you're working on your math. Do you have any questions? And, and if they did, they will say, yeah, I'm stuck on this one. And then I'll help them out. Or they'll say, no, I'm just really thinking about this, making sure I'm doing it correctly. But either way, instead of just automatically jumping to, you know, you're doing, you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing when it may not be the case. They just need, they're maybe processing or they truly are stuck and they just don't ask for help. I had to reset how I was doing things and approaching things with them.
1: Yeah, totally. And and there's that's kind of like a two-pronged thing too. Is it that they don't know how to do the task or is it that they're struggling with the content? So separating those two things out too can be tremendously helpful. Yeah. And then the other thing I was thinking, you know, the, the question, the original question you asked about if we just set the environment up for them to succeed, what that looks like for kids who have an ADHD profile is building in External mo- a motivation system. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just chemically how our brains work. Um, first this, then this. So I oftentimes, even at home, I, my middle child has ADHD and it's not that she doesn't for the before I knew she had ADHD. Honestly, I thought she was just like, being, um, oppositional, but it wasn't bad at all. It's that she has other things on her brain, you know? So getting ready for school, it's get dressed, brush hair, brush teeth. You do those things. And we, I use a system on my phone called dojos so that she gets mm-hmm. points yeah. and, and just the act of, of pushing and getting a point and feeling like she was a good girl is enough for her. You know it. Rewind a year ago, I had to have this system in place where if she got so many dojos, then she got a pride. But now she just like likes to have the dojo and hear the ding. So anytime I feel that too, like, oh, I'm getting resistance from kids. I think to myself as teacher or as mom, what system, what in what motivation system do I need to put into place to help them?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. No, fall I fall in line. I that. don't
1: know, not fall in line, but to help them get on the program. <laughs> right.
0: Right, right. I love that. So for those who are trying to decide whether, I mean, they see that their child is having some type of struggle, they see they're having reading struggles. Should a parent decide, or should they even think about getting tested? And what should they even recognize for them to even ask that question to themselves?
1: Yeah. So I am a firm believer in doing everything you possibly can in a homeopathic way to tease out any variables. So like, for example, what does sleep look like? What does, what do eating habits look like? What does downtime look like? What does exercise look like? And, and so if we know that we're doing the very best that we can to set the student up for success, great. And then I think really partnering with the student's teacher and having a trusting, open, honest relationship with them. So even, you know, kindergarten, first, second, fifth, eighth, whatever the case may be, what grade your kid is in, where are they on the continuum of learning compared to peers? And if at any point they're below that 50th percentile on whatever measures the school or teacher is using, I would look at that right away and what's going on and why. And so many times I've seen kids who come to me um, on an an individualized education plan with a primary disability being uh, other health impairment, meaning Mm -hmm. ADHD. And I can clearly see as a trained intervention specialist that the ADHD is getting in the way of their academic success. And so at that point, if we can clearly peel that back and say, yes, like we're, you're doing all of the biohacking correctly, like they're getting enough sleep or whatever, but they still just really cannot focus for long enough for me to get through a structured literacy lesson. Or a lot of times I'll say like, there's something just, they're, they're not connecting. And because that feels so uncomfortable for some of our super intelligent kids with ADHD, they back away from it and they're just like, I'm out. This is just too much. So then how do we as teachers um, make the steps simpler mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. more approachable for the kid? Mm-hmm. So I would say anytime time that the ADHD appears to be getting in the way of learning, then we need to dig deeper and find other tools to help the child reach their fullest potential.
0: I like that. And then would you say the same thing with the dyslexia? What are some of the signs on that side? Should they be looking for, is it similar to the steps with ADHD?
1: Yeah. I've also seen kids come to me with a primary disability of dyslexia and not, nobody said anything about ADHD, except the teachers are like something else is going on something else. If there's something else just, you know, and so then we would say, I think we might want to look at it and see does he have ADHD as well? Because I think, um, I'm not going to say the percentage because I haven't looked at it in a long time, but there actually is a pretty high percentage of comorbidity and dyslexia and ADHD, meaning a high percentage of kids with dyslexia also have ADHD. And what's tricky about it is some of the symptoms of dyslexia before diagnosis look like ADHD. Mm. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I... I'm one to believe that more information is better, and I think it's somewhat unfortunate most school districts do not use the word dyslexia when they go to do a comprehensive evaluation, Hmm. but any parent at any time can say, I suspect that there's something else going on, or a teacher can say it, and the school district is obligated to do further testing, and what they'll call it is a um, specific learning disability in okay. reading, mm. they can't use the D word That's or they won't, it's, it's, it's really puzzling. Cause like, as you know, um, once you find out, once you name it, you can tame it. Right. So once you know, you have ADHD, okay, great. I'm empowered. I know what my strengths are. I know how to find resources, people, community to mitigate my mm-hmm. challenge areas. It's the same thing for dyslexia, a, not a specific learning disability. And I'm using air quotes, isn't really even all that specific. But a majority of specific learning disability in reading is dyslexia. So you can start with your school district and ask for further testing. Okay. And with in a comprehensive evaluation with a school psychologist. So they should be able to collect all sorts of data. And there's a specific test that they will do. Uh, Every psychologist uses a different test, but one should test for phonological processing and rapid automatic naming. And if any of those two measures are below average, then you could say, This looks like a profile of somebody who has dyslexia.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, you said that they can't name it from the school side. Are they able to receive? the name from the doctor. So if a doctor outside of the system said, yes, they absolutely have dyslexia or wherever they got their testing done.
1: Yeah. So um,
0: does it work that way or?
1: Yeah. So it's from a, it's from either a clinical psychologist Mm -hmm. or a school psychologist in private practice can Mm -hmm. do that. And so just, um, just like insider secret tip it's not, it shouldn't be a secret but nobody knows about this if you um have a kid on an iep and I, we're in ohio so i'm talking about mm-hmm. you can go to the state's education department or and or when you sit down with your team meeting your principal sh- and school-based team should give you this manual on parent rights for students with disabilities on page eight of the ohio of the ohio manual of parents rights is something called an independent education evaluation. And you can you can request that from the school district if you disagree with the diagnosis. Okay. So, if you and I I advocate that parents utilize that tool because it is so essential that we name we name it. I've had kids who just have felt stupid and just terrible and hate school and just feel like their social emotional health is not intact because of their learning difference, not being addressed appropriately at school. And as soon as they say, oh, I have dyslexia, so does Steve Jobs and Whoopi Goldberg and dozens and dozens of game changers and cultural icons who have changed the way all of us live. Yeah, You know, that's very empowering. And then for as, as a teacher I can say oh you have dyslexia no problem I know exactly what to do yeah yeah oh, so yeah. page eight of the parents rights manual independent education evaluation the special ed director should give you those lists of names to do the comprehensive eval um, and the school district is obligated to pay for it because otherwise it costs a few thousand dollars to get that label Wow which is which is tremendous. It
0: is tremendous. It is tremendous. So if a parent knows what's going on with their child, but they feel like they're just not getting that support, how do they go about advocating for their child in the school system?
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting time for us here in Ohio because uh, some legislation was just passed this spring that'll take go into effect next fall and it's called Connor's law. Mm -hmm. And it's all about identifying kids who have dyslexic profiles. Mm -hmm. So there are going to be more rigorous screeners in place and more rigorous, much more rigorous training for teachers so that they're able to serve kids more seamlessly who are struggling. So I think um, better times are on the horizon for our kids' literacy acquisition skills. But that being said, in the meantime, um, so the International Dyslexia Association is a great resource. And particularly if you're in Ohio, there's different branches. And so the Central Ohio branch has a great resource um, about Connors Law. What does that mean for parents, students, teachers? So even though the, the legislation has not taken effect per se, we can still trigger as parents and teachers, and we can still trigger the prongs of the law to say, okay, I think this child is struggling with literacy. We need to do a screener to see if they may have dyslexia. Okay. They tested positive for the screener. Now we need to put a plan in place. So I would say just, I think it's critically important that parents see their school-based team as teammates, as people who are on the same side of the, on the tennis net with you, And I think it's tremendously important to know that the teachers and principals generally really want to serve the kid and they're up against some pretty tricky bureaucratic processes. So know that even though sometimes it feels like icky as a parent um, to be like, I I don't feel like they're helping me or I feel like they're just appeasing me. I feel like they're just saying what I want to hear. Try to view it as you're the CEO of your parents' IEP and you can't fire these people They're on your team. How are you going? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you have to make the relationship work. And I think if you come at it from love and I want to do what's best for my child and you're the expert in fifth grade and you're the expert in special ed and you're the expert in school administration and I'm the expert of my child. How can we work together to maximize my kid's potential?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is so awesome. I like that the CEO. Of the child's IEP, yeah, that is awesome. That is a good way. I may use that quite a bit, Jessica.
1: <laughs> I like that. We should because I feel like, I, I mean, I've worked in um, inner city schools, in suburban schools, and rural schools. I've seen it all, and I feel like it's intimidating as a parent. You come into the school, you may have ha- not have the greatest feelings about school or memories about school, and there's like. A sea of people around a conference room. You don't know what they're going to say about your kid. You know, probably some of it's going to hurt. You know, some of it, you're going to feel helpless. But if you come in with a mindset of like shoulders back, deep breath, I'm the CEO of this team and I'm going to lead it. And if I don't know the answers to questions that I have, I'm going to write down the question and I'm going to call Yakini or Dr. Bennett and I'm going to find out (laughs) what to do next. And it's okay to say, I don't know right now. I'm going to get back to you and to continue, ask, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, and then come talk to us.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. So just to take a quick step back. So one of the things that I think people have a struggle with is whether they should decide to get their child tested or whether they just think their child just needs a tutor, right? I mean, it's like, oh, they should be fine. I can get them a tutor and it'll all be good. Now, how do you make that decision? Like, how do you really make that decision? Do you go with the tutor for a little bit? And if you still not are seeing improvements, then you go with the testing. Like, how do people think through that normally?
1: <laughs> I know. So... I coach parents to this a lot, and if at any point your gut feeling is telling you that your kid needs something more or something different, then don't waste any time in finding a highly qualified tutor. And by that, I mean somebody who has experience and/or training in teaching kids who have dyslexia. I would just go right there okay. um, because you know they have a huge toolkit. And um, at the same time, again, I I feel like if a kid has Average or above average intelligence, but their achievement is not reflecting that. And there's, you know, a discrepancy, Mm -hmm. something may be awry. And we just may need to get more information.
0: Okay. Okay. I
1: like that. Yeah. Okay. I am a big proponent of gathering data, just gathering okay. lots of data, lots of different data points, different data points in, across time mm-hmm. to give you a whole picture of wh- what may be going on. And taking your child to get tested with a psychologist is a lot more data points. Yeah, agree. And I will tell you, too, like sometimes I've had parents who've had uh, kids with ADHD and they go to get their kid tested and we think they have dyslexia and some other things have come out of the woodwork that we Mm -hmm. never even thought about because maybe they were girls or maybe there were a couple of different things at play that as they interacted together in this stew of learning difference manifested in a very unique way.
0: Got it. So what are some things that parents can do at home to really help their child as far as just getting through reading on a daily basis?
1: So I have two go-to strategies that I love. Um, One is, especially for elementary age, I would say up through the end of fifth grade, Mm -hmm. um, if you notice that your child um, is reading out loud at a slower rate, or a a lot of schools give you this data, the oral reading fluency data, I have benchmarks that I really look at as kind of a litmus test to see if a child does need extra help or extra teaching. Um, So one of the strategies that I use is called repeated reading, and this takes maybe five minutes um, sitting with your kid. And um, the great thing about this is kids love to see their data after every read, they read for a minute and you chart their growth. And so then the next time they sit down with you, they try to beat their score. And it's, I think like, you know, we all know reading to your child from an early age is really important and we've probably all done it. But then once they get into elementary school, I really kind of target specific things. So if reading fluency is one thing that's concerning. Taking five minutes, three to five times a week with your kid to do that is a a great strategy. And I actually have on YouTube, like a 45 minute uh, resource on how you do that and why we do it, if you're interested in doing it. The other thing um, is, is just keeping in mind, if a child has ADHD, reading comprehension might look like a struggle. And I think it's because you said with your daughter, like she's thinking about snack and thinking about what she's going to do next, but she actually looks like she's reading. And so I think making the goalposts really visual for kids and, and comprehension is really important. So I like to keep things super simple structures that you can apply to most situations. So most of the time as readers, we are either reading fiction or nonfiction. So whether your kid's doing homework or you're reading to them, or honestly, I even will teach kids the structure when we're watching TV. Is this real or is this make-believe? And from there, there's different uh, comprehension. There's different reasons for reading fiction versus nonfiction. So if we're reading fiction, we we need to figure out what the problem and solution is. Hmm. So as you know, you can like throw a kid a book and be like, yeah, I have to read for 20, 30 minutes for homework. At the end of that, I mean, I would sit with them and, and kind of train them to know that even if let's say they read one chapter every book has a problem and a solution. And most kids like to say, oh, this book didn't have a problem. But it's like, well, then why did we read it? Every book has a problem and a solution. And um, every chapter in a chapter book has a problem and a solution. So if the child knows the goal, I'm reading this fiction book, Mm -hmm. because I need to be able to articulate what the problem and solution is. And I know mom or dad or grandma is going to ask me, after this 20 minutes, what the problem of that book is, then they're focused on reading for problem and solution instead of being like, I just have to pass the time in 20 minutes, I can do whatever I want. Right. Yeah. The other thing that's really tricky for kids is if they're reading nonfiction. I find that kids are very, very, most of the time, easily able to pick out details and facts that they read in nonfiction. Did you know that a volcano, blah, blah, blah? You're like, oh, wow, great. So then how do those – so let them tell you the two or three facts they learn. The hard part is then zooming out and telling me how those three things go together. Mm. And they have to say a whole sentence. And that's the main – telling the main idea of nonfiction is tremendously difficult for kids who struggle with comprehension. So um, modeling that if you're reading aloud to them. Again, if you're watching like Nat Geo or something – have helping them connect dots and like the zoomed out has, you can't say what the title was. You can't, it has to be a whole sentence and those three details you give gave me have to go together somehow, even if it's arguable, it's like the the oral practice of doing that.
0: I'm going to have to try that. That's really good.
1: Yeah. And so again, um, I think I have this whole, another like 45 minute talk on comprehension that you can check out on mindful literacy practice. So to get in even more details in depth. And then if you email me, I can send you. I also think kids need to have a visual representation of things. So I have I have all sorts of PDF handouts I can send you.
0: That'd be great. Yeah. So um, so just to close it up, what are some resources? So you had mentioned a couple, but just details. What are some resources, books, YouTube channels um, that you can share that could help them with Understanding dyslexia or understanding the combination of ADHD and dyslexia.
1: Yes. So one of my favorite resources that I reference is the Yale Dyslexia Center.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So you've heard of that one.
0: I did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Sally Shaywitz is a really famous researcher and teacher, and she she's in charge of the Yale Dyslexia Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned the International Dyslexia Association is another great resource. Um, understood.org, which has a ton about ADHD, also okay. has a ton about dyslexia. Okay. Yeah. So, and then another great resource, Yakini, is going to be a conference on October 12th. It's an executive functioning conference, but parents can choose, you know, and teachers too. It's really for parents, teachers, staff. They can choose what age group they would like to learn about and what area. So we will have math. Uh, seminars on elementary, middle school, high school. We'll have literacy seminars on elementary, middle school, high school. So how does executive functioning play into learning literacy? How does executive executive functioning play into learning math? And most importantly, what tools are effective that we can give students tomorrow after walking away from this conference? Um, and then the third strand is social emotional development and gifted, gifted ed. So mm-hmm. I would love today is September 1st and our early bird pricing is ending today. So I would encourage you to sign up, but also, um, if you're watching this at any time and you want to sign up for the conference, you can use the, the code IG50 and get 50% off registration. Nice. Uh, the that conference is, nice. is, yeah, yeah. The conference is in person in Westerville, Ohio, but it's also virtual and we will record it. So whether whatever way you want to get the information, just register now. And we'll you know, either send you the link to log in live or send you the recordings, or I'd love to meet you in person in, in Westerville, Ohio.
0: Now, is this something that you're trying to do every year?
1: We are trying to do it every year. It's our primary fundraiser. I So I'm not in the classroom anymore. I started a nonprofit called Mindful Literacy Columbus, and this is going to be our main fundraiser for that. And our mission is to get kids scholarships for high quality literacy tutoring. Eventually, we want to have a research center. We have some research projects in the works that we're really interested in working with schools on. But um, yeah, for now, it's our first annual conference. I don't. The theme this year is executive functioning um, practical strategies for maximum growth. So.
0: That is awesome, and I just wanted to um, ask that question just in case people see this video after the date. So it's something for them to try to look up the the next years or the following years. Oh just yeah,
1: and, and if that's if that's the case, please email me, and I can always send you know we can always purchase the recordings afterwards. So my email is drbennett d r b e n n e t t at mindfulliteracypractice.org.
0: Perfect. And is there any other way that they can get a hold of you, be it website or Instagram, any other way if they wanted to ask you questions?
1: Absolutely. So uh, the website is mindfulliteracypractice.org. And there's a tab up there for the conference if you want to learn more info about the conference and to register in any of the services that we provide. And on Instagram, it's mindful.literacy.
0: Perfect. Any closing comments?
1: No, I just, I really enjoyed talking to you and I, I love, um, connecting with you and you asked such a great, great question. So I would just say if anybody wants to follow up, I love hearing from people and I'm here to help.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jessica. This was great. Great, great information. Yes. And good luck on your conference. I'm so excited for you.
1: Thanks. Take care. Um,
0: All right. All right, everyone that closes up another episode of ADHD love parent talk. All right, everyone have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review and join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.